0: a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Good evening, Imperials and Rebels. Welcome back to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. I am joined this week for an in-depth look at Revenge of the Sith by my DC3cast co-host, the co-host of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast, my friend and yours, Mr. Zach Wilkerson. Hello, Zach.
1: Hey, Brian. How's it going?
0: It's going well. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This is not your first appearance on Force Ghost, but your first appearance in a long time. Um, So what we've been kind of doing with these uh, rewatch episodes is sort of setting the stage for when we first saw the movie and maybe uh, any initial thoughts that we remembered from seeing the movie for the first time so how old were you when you saw revenge of the sith and um what do you remember about your first time seeing it
1: so i saw revenge of the sith um when it was in theaters i was double checking the day that it came out so it came out on may 19th um and i think i saw it that weekend um because my birthday is may 17th and so uh, to celebrate, me and a, a bunch of friends went and saw it together. So it would have been just within a few days of it opening. um So I guess I was 16 then. Yeah.
0: What year was it? 2005.
1: Five. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: I would have been
0: 20, just about to turn 23. On 22, about to turn 23, and uh, I too saw it in the theater. And much like Attack of the Clones, I only saw it once in the theater and then did not see it in full again until 2015
1: that's wild um i guess i should say and you might find this surprising but i think we've maybe talked about this before um revenge of the sith was the first star wars movie that i saw in theaters yeah that that blows my mind yeah um (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't want to tangent it too much but i actually i read the novelization of <laughs> uh phantom menace, phantom menace because uh none of my family was like really interested in seeing it and then i don't know like when attack of the clones came out i i just like w- was probably at my least interested in star wars ever i mm-hmm. think uh because i was and like see, 13 then um, that's
0: where i was when this came out okay um yeah uh, that, that's really interesting though So had you seen the other Star Wars movies yeah, Before you read the yeah, novelization? Yeah, I had seen them
1: I, Well, no So, no I, Oh, had, like the originals, yes Yeah, I had seen okay. I had seen like the original trilogy multiple okay. times Okay, uh, I wanted to make sure your yeah, first I, I dive liked... into
0: Star <laughs> Wars Wasn't yeah. the novelization of The Phantom Menace
1: <laughs> No, no, no I had watched them all like multiple times I would, I would like stay home from school sick And watch the whole trilogy At least like every couple of months
0: (laughs) that sounds like a great day still yeah uh fantastic all right so what do you remember about the film when you first saw it the first time you saw it
1: i think i like unabashedly loved it i thought it was just the coolest best thing i think i don't i don't i think at that point i had very minimal criticism of it
0: and see i i think like a lot of people I had sort of convinced myself initially that I liked The Phantom Menace a little bit. But but within a few months, I had sort of come down off that. And I absolutely hated Attack of the Clones. And so I think I just saw this film out of a sense of obligation. That like, alright, I've seen every other Star Wars movie. I love the originals so much. I have to see this movie. But I really don't care. And I remember liking parts of it more than I liked the other films. But I think I went into this with such a bad attitude that unless it was essentially The Empire Strikes Back 2, I would not have given it a fair shake at the time that I saw it. Um, I will say now, there are days when I could be convinced that this is maybe the sixth best Star Wars movie? That's about as high as I'll go with it. Um, I don't think it's better than either of the sequels we've gotten so far. I don't
1: think Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. And
0: I don't think it's better than any of the original trilogy films. Um,
1: I, I've got a take on that here in a minute, but is your take I gonna mean, be that it's
0: better than Jedi?
1: I I was gonna on on certain days I could be persuaded.
0: I I under, even if I disagree, I understand that argument because I think that there are less like I think with Jedi you can point to a couple of sort of like, big-picture problems with Jedi. And I think this mm-hmm. film has less big-picture problems, but a lot more, like, small momentary problems. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I actually think this movie has its fair share of big-picture problems, too, <laughs> which we'll, we'll get into that eventually. And I, and I did want to, like, clarify that, you know, not that I, like, don't still have a soft spot for this movie, but when I say, like, I loved it, just you know without any kind of um qualification at that time the the critical eye of my 16 year old self was not <laughs> great <laughs> you were comparing it um, to the great works of cinema yeah yeah and and i i, I very much was um overcome swallowed up by the hype and just the grandeur of it all and i think also just with getting to go see my first star wars movie in theaters too sure and it being the last one you know
0: yeah and that's another. I, I maybe will save for the end of the conversation but i do want to talk about the perception that this was the end of star wars movies mm-hmm. uh because i think that that does color things a little bit here um, yeah yeah so let's let's jump into sort of our notes from the beginning of the film. Um, so I, one thing I did notice lately, and I've been meaning to bring this up with somebody, and since I just noticed it again when I rewatched this film on Monday night, I'll, I'll bring it up with you. Have you ever noticed that in in the opening title crawls, it always ends with four periods in an ellipses instead of three? No, I
1: haven't. I've I have maybe noticed that before, um, but not enough to like recall that. By you mentioning it, okay.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway, there's that. Um, I will I, say that. So go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, I was gonna say I I'm glad that we are gonna talk about the crawl. Do you, do you have something you were gonna say about it? Go ahead. I just think that this is the the weirdest crawl. War. Uh, yeah, that 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 <laughs> that. Um, but I, there was a line in the in the crawl on this most recent rewatch that I had that I thought was so weird and interesting. Um, it's that I think at the end of the first paragraph, it says uh, regarding the, the clone war, it says heroes are on both sides. Your e- evil is everywhere. And that's a weird line to open up on a, a movie that is supposed to have pretty clearly defined good guys and bad guys.
0: Yeah. I, I noted the same thing, how, the idea of heroes being on both sides. First of all, it's a very uh, Charlottesville Trump statement. Yes, <laughs> um, which is a whole other thing. But uh, but you know, it's just like heroes on both sides. Does he mean or he being, I guess, the omniscient narrator or George Lucas? Does he mean that like there is bravery on both sides? Because to yeah. me, that's different than saying there are heroes on both sides.
1: Right, and well, and you can even have you know there can be General Grievous as a hero to the like separatist army sure and so in a way that's true but then following it up with the line evil is everywhere <laughs> that kind of like backs that and well it, it kind of spins it in an even like darker light you, you have that contrast that essentially it's saying there are good and bad on both sides
0: right yes um which i think is a fair argument to make but again this film more than almost any other of the prequels lays out instantly who's bad and who's good yeah yeah <laughs> you know in um in uh, attack of the clones you're given like a brief moment to maybe consider that count Dooku isn't as evil as he appears to be you know when he sort of has that weird scene with obi-wan where they're they're kind of flirting back and forth um but here like very clearly you know who's good and who's bad and more than that you need to know that because you need to see Anakin just throwing everything away mm-hmm. and so the the good and bad is really well defined so to to put that sort of moral relativism in the opening crawl is very weird
1: yeah it is it is um anything else about the crawl
0: no i think we're good um, okay. I did want to say one thing about the very beginning of the film, though, which is about 30 seconds in, you realize how much better looking this is than Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Having, having just watched both recently, um, there are some brilliant, some really beautiful shots in Attack of the Clones, but this film really feels like they, they've ramped it up a notch. And part of that is technology getting better, but I also think that part of it is just there are less... There are less weird scenes like diner sequences and, um, and like space slugs. Everything that you're seeing, for the most part, looks like it belongs in Star Wars. And I think that that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah. No, that opening, uh, space sequence is really good. And I remember just being blown away by that the first time. And I think it really holds up. You know, I was thinking about it, um, in terms of, you know, comparing it to the, the opening sequence of Last Jedi.
0: Mhm.
1: And it holds up really well considering you know it's over a decade old now. Yeah. Um yeah. Um
0: almost 15 years old.
1: Yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> um there's a there's some things, you know, going off the the thing about delineating the good guys versus the bad guys. Coming off of that crawl, though, I was kind of hyper aware of anything that kind of um, ticked those boxes or kind of highlighted that idea. And so maybe because of that, I, I noticed a line from Obi-Wan really early on. Um, It was actually like an exchange between Obi-Wan and Anakin where, um, you know, they are leading the squad of clone troopers and um, the clones are kind of getting picked off. And Anakin is like, I'm going to go turn around and save them. And Obi-Wan is like, no, don't. They're doing their job in, in sacrificing themselves, essentially, so that so that we can do ours. And I thought, like, that's kind of dark for obi-wan to have such a uh um, yes. disposalist view of them when he is kind of supposed to be the paragon of this movie right and i, I think that
0: there are there are sort of two things i want to say about that the first is that i think especially if you watch the clone wars show I,
1: I, I we need to talk about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you
0: see his relationship with so many of the clones Mm-hmm. He is he is the most compassionate character in all of Star Wars, probably. And so it is weird to see him say that. Also, though, that might be Lucas... See, One of the things that I have a problem with Lucas with, in the prequels is that a lot of times he has good ideas that he's very bad at executing. And if he's supposed to be showing the folly of the idea of the Jedi as generals and how this is taking them away from their purpose by being generals in the war then that statement actually is very telling about what Obi-Wan's sort of mindset is uh, at this point. But again, that there there's no depth to that. It's never explored more than that.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this is going to end up being a recurring thing, and I wasn't sure how long it was going to take for us to get to Clone Wars stuff, but <laughs> um, so many of the ideas in this movie are just kind of – poorly fleshed out you know kind of like very shallow concepts that then are later uh like fleshed out and developed in clone wars and this is
0: actually the first time i've seen this movie since watching the clone wars
1: interesting okay okay well it it kind of really completely um reframes the movie and you almost can't even talk about it or think about it in the same way once you've watched all of clone wars
0: yeah i'll agree with that um I think that there are a couple of things that, like, for instance, and we're jumping way ahead here, and we'll get to this later, but, like, the calling of, like, the moment where Palpatine calls in Order 66, Mm -hmm. knowing the Clone Wars, that becomes a totally different scene. Oh, right, right. You know, things like that, for sure. Um, But the the, the thing I wanted to say about this sort of initial, maybe, like, ten minutes or so from the crawl until when we get into Dooku's chambers is this is the first time since the first I'm going to say since the first ten minutes of um, The Phantom Menace that we see Jedi doing cool shit we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Like There's a lot of really good Jedi stuff going on here. Whether it's seeing how adept Anakin is at piloting a ship and like you know basically using a spaceship to pick droids off of Obi-Wan's ship or is just seeing them just really be like at the top of their physical game while the lightsaber duel at the end of the Phantom Menace is great that sort of stuff we had seen before this feels like it's, it's another opportunity to sort of highlight what the Jedi could be and I really appreciate that because and I've said this on the show many times but like you know As a kid, I just thought being a Jedi was the coolest thing in the world, and most of the prequels spend their time telling you that's wrong. And again, I understand why Lucas wants to make that point. I don't think he makes the point very well, though. So I did enjoy watching some cool Jedi stuff happening here.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I mean, I probably started watching Star Wars maybe like a year or two before Phantom Menace came out. Okay. Um. So I to me like the the idea of the jedi I really don't have like a pre phantom menace idea of okay. of that you know you know what I mean like because sure. it was all so close together and I was young I don't really have a memory of you know some you know someone who had been um affiliated with star wars you know much longer and I mean, so I
0: remember being in middle school and hearing people argue like Basically, who would win in a fight, Superman or Luke Skywalker? Like, you know, like because we we had such little understanding of what the Jedi were meant to be. Uh-huh. That we kind of just saw them as like space superheroes. Yeah. And so to go from space superheroes to sort of dour uh bureaucrats is a really jarring switch for somebody who wasn't expecting that.
1: Yeah, um, but also like dour bureaucrat- bureaucrats who actually like are superheroes though um, yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> even more so than they like ever had been
0: yeah um so yeah uh, i do want to point out that uh this movie early on does most of its silly droid stuff like star wars is rife with silly droid stuff but this sort of opening sequence on the ship r2 does a lot of silly droid stuff and yeah. depending on your patience for that that could be very frustrating
1: um yeah there also before we like get away from this early stuff, since we have like already brought up Clone Wars, um, there there's actually two really funny things within this one sequence that are a major headache in terms of Clone War stuff. Okay. Um, one is um, it's kind of it, it's introduced that this is the first time that Anakin and Grievous have seen each other or have met. Right. And so because of that, and and the the staff who worked on clone wars have like gone on record talking about this. They had to always find ways to keep them from meeting <laughs> in clone wars, even yeah. if it was just like they were on the same spaceship and a door would slam between them so that they didn't see each other. Um, which is really funny, uh, <laughs> that like six seasons of TV show were, were beholden to that one comment. Um, but then also there's a, a really corny line where, um, Anakin is um, you know bantering with Dooku and he says something like oh my powers have doubled since the last time we met um, which in the context of the movie when it came out is like clearly is referring to um, attack of the clones right yeah and and the fight at the end but in light of clone wars it's like oh he he just saw him like <laughs> oh, last week
0: yeah I was gonna say your, your, your powers have doubled in the last 10 minutes okay cool yeah cool story Anakin. <laughs> Um, so I I do want to say that this the sequence of Obi Wan and Anakin fighting Dooku has the most unintentionally funny line in the entire Star Wars trilogy, the entire Star Wars saga, which is the way that Palpatine goes, yeah, when he's watching them fight. (laughs) It's so out of character and weird, and makes me laugh every single time. It's really funny.
1: There's a lot of really good stuff in this first, like, 20, 30-minute section. Yeah, Um, I had
0: written down, like, a ton in this first half hour.
1: uh, Yeah, me too. And and it's really interesting because I think I've told you before, in regards with Jedi, I'm not a huge fan of the Tatooine sequence at the beginning, the Han rescue. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, like, too long, and it meanders, and the comedy is kind of weird and play. I don't know. I just don't like that section, but I like this section and they play similar roles. Yes, they do. They um, certainly do. And one, one last thing before we get away from this, I really wanted to send this to you beforehand, but, uh, you know, things got in the way, but have you seen the deleted scene from this section of the movie where Anakin talks droid? no, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send it to you after this, and you can watch it. And anyone listening, just Google like, Revenge of the Sith deleted scene, droid talk, or something like that, and you'll probably find it. It's the best. I wish it was in the film.
0: Okay, I can't wait to watch this now. Uh, I just want have a couple more notes on this uh, sequence before we move away from it. The first one is that this continues the prequel's absolutely maddening tradition of having nothing villains, and how Count Dooku... Yeah in The Clone Wars, is a relatively interesting character, but in these two films amounts to just a a whole handful of nothing. Mm -hmm. And he's dispatched with almost no
1: fanfare whatsoever. Oh, and Um, it's so sad. Like, not sad, but, like, disappointing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, And so that's not great. Uh, But also what I think is, one of the things that is good about this movie is that like the whole movie is basically the slow motion telling of Anakin, like uh, Anakin messing everything up, right? Um, mm-hmm. But we, but that's not really telegraphed all that much throughout the movie. He does. There's lots of moments where he is very compassionate and very mindful and very kind, and you see glimpses of what everyone else must have thought of him at various points in the film. Uh, like here, you know, he doesn't want to kill. Dooku initially he insists on saving um, Obi-Wan like you can see how Palpatine is trying to mold him and uh, and how he is resisting that at least to some degree and I think that that, that's a real benefit to this film because there are times when it seems like well let me rephrase that it's half a benefit to this film because there are times when you can see another path for Anakin, but because he isn't always one way or the other, he sometimes like violently shifts between tones where Mm -hmm. everything's cool. And then all of a sudden everything's terrible. And he's a petulant teenager.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like this could go turn into a huge tangent. I don't necessarily want it to, but that, is kind of a structurally an issue with the prequel trilogy that has always kind of not always, but maybe, maybe like later in life, really befuddled me how Lucas chose to focus on a young Anakin as opposed to kind of the idea I think I maybe had in my head from um, A New Hope of an older Anakin.
0: I mean, Who? When, when you see at the end of Jedi, the Force ghosts together, Yeah, it, it looks to you like Anakin, and of course, if you've seen it post-Special Editions or whatever, you see now. It's Aiden not, yeah. But, like, I grew up with Sebastian Shaw as old man Anakin, and he looked to be the same age or older than Obi-Wan.
1: Right, right. You, you saw them as being, like, of the same age, kind of more equals... Um, as opposed to like a mentor mentee relationship which which i think actually still works you know their relationship is really good especially in clone wars um every i feel like that's gonna uh, just a given anytime we (laughs) say anything's good it's probably better in clone wars but um and just the you know not to like spend too much time talking about the other movies but just the choice to start with anakin as a kid and then as a late teen and then early 20s is where he ends up the the pacing is just always kind of i i thought it's a little strange i i've always kind of thought it was strange that lucas chose to make the final turn in the final movie and not have it be kind of the um the empire strikes back moment of the second film right Right. That, I feel beca- like that would give it more time to grow because that's this movie's biggest problem. Yes. And,
0: and I would say especially that's the case because you would think that like one of the downfalls of doing this story is that you really can't you can't play with the audience's expectation of is he going to become Darth Vader? You know mm-hmm. he is. All of that drama is sucked out of it. So by, by pushing it off to the third film all you're really doing is making everybody in the theater look at their watch and try and figure out when he's becoming Darth
1: Vader. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And then when it happens, when it actually happens, and we're getting way ahead here, but it's just at the drop of a dime, you know, it just happens. Yes. Yeah. And And we'll get to that in a little while. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So moving away from this sequence, um, let's see. So I I had a question, which I guess is somewhat answered in the Clone Wars a little bit, but in this scene, you're wondering how much does General Grievous know? Because the whole war is is this prop that isn't really a thing. It's it's Palpatine creating a false conflict to give himself absolute power. So do you get the impression that people like Dooku and Grievous
1: are true believers in this? No, I... What do you – in Palpatine's actual plan or in, no, the, in the, the Separatist vision? In the Separatist vision, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And that makes – do- Dooku especially. Yes, Dooku
0: definitely is. What, what yeah. about Grievous?
1: I don't know. Um, I don't even necessarily know if Clone Wars really makes that clear. Um, I I think so probably. I don't so, think he actually knows what's going on. I think he uh, – yeah, I think, I think he is a, a believer of the cause –
0: to me that makes the characters so much more interesting, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just don't know if the movie does enough to make it interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is actually, that coming back around to the idea of heroes on both sides, you know, the, the separatists are because they're the bad guys are presented as the bad guys. And I, I think in general that's pretty consistent, but I do think that even at times in Clone Wars, there are times where you see that, you know, the Separatists do believe in something, and they are like pulling systems away from the Republic for a reason because the Republic is is, is failing. You know, it's not functioning the way it's supposed to, and it's right. not. And it's not an inherently good body which i don't know if you could call any government inherently good but
0: <laughs> that's a conversation for a whole different day though yeah <laughs> um but yeah no i agree and I, I wish that again like when you spend so much time on other stuff you can't make the separatist plan all that interesting or well, not interesting you can't you can't go that in depth with what the separatists <sighs> really want and so it <sighs> takes away so much of the conflict
1: that gets to the heart of a of a thing with Star Wars that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's that there's so much in these movies and there are so few films that you really can't go very deep in anything. Yeah. Add so much of it is left to the imagination. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, it is. I think Um, uh, it's on one hand how it has thrived and done so well, but at the same time, you know, we are, you know, Star Wars has been around for over 40 years, and we still, like, don't really know. What the
0: Force is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or how it works, or (laughs) or anything, you know? And part Um, of that's good.
0: like You know, I I know I can talk this way to you because you're my Lost buddy, but, like, I don't know if what the island was in Lost was all that satisfying. Mm-hmm. But at least, and so Star Wars has avoided being like, you know, to me, most of all, Star Wars mostly avoided the Force being brought down to something ridiculous, unless you count midichlorians.
1: Right, but like, even that has been at least retconned in a way, not necessarily retconned, but it's still, it's not the definitive answer. Right, yes. There yeah. is mystery.
0: Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Right, so A couple of things, I think we're going to fast forward a little bit here, but I do want to say the second most unintentionally funny moment of the Star Wars trilogy happens pretty quickly after this, which is when, uh, when Anakin and Padme are talking, and he's like, you're beautiful, and she's like, that's because I'm so in love with you, he goes, no, I'm so in love with you! <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. It's it's really it's really bad. I mean their whole thing is not great. Um <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I I don't even know what to say about that at this point. I mean it just it has to have been Lucas's poor direction at that point, I would yeah. think. Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: Uh, so a couple other like, little, little notes I have here. Um, Abziken said Anakin. He has great abs in this movie. Like, they show mm-hmm. it off a few mm-hmm. times. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the next time the Grievous meets, uh, Obi-Wan, he says that Count Dooku trained me in your Jedi
1: ways. Does he just mean sword fighting? I guess he, so. He can't
0: have <laughs> a force or anything.
1: No, so, no. Yeah. He just, just must mean lightsabers. Just, yeah, lightsabers. Um,
0: Let's see. Uh, I I have a lot of of Palpatine stuff in a minute, so let's try and let's try and get to like the Palpatine reveal pretty quickly. What do you have between between this point and the Palpatine reveal?
1: You know, honestly, from this point, I don't I don't have a lot. Um, like there were things that I n- noticed and <sighs> had had a few ideas, but I kind of feel like this section of the movie. Is kind of not necessarily weak, but on subsequent reviewings, just not terribly interesting because it is like you said, it from the end of the Palpatine rescue, you are just doing the countdown to Vader. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah.
0: All right. So I, I have just a couple more things. Um The Kashyyyk sequence is so pointless.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. No reason to go there. And having Yoda and Chewbacca, like have a relationship makes no sense.
1: I it's like yeah, it is the the kind of like gratuitous Star Wars thing where everything has to be connected. Mm-hmm. The whole, you know, what what feeds into the sequel trilogy um you know, controversy is that, you know, people are still expecting those kind of ties. Yeah. And it's it is it's kind of it's silly. It's just <laughs> um, so
0: weird to think like so Chewbacca meets Obi Wan, and you know doesn't say like hey I knew a Jedi once you know just yeah, kind of just doesn't yeah. say anything. It's just it's it's, yeah. terrible. it's terrible. Well, I mean
1: the Kashyyyk thing again. Like I feel like this movie and the prequel trilogy in general is just filled with good ideas that make sense that are badly executed. Like mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith needs to show the Clone Wars because attack the clones ended with the Clone Wars starting. Right. And then this movie picks up with the Clone Wars ending. Right. And the Clone Wars was the thing that a lot of people were excited to see. Um, which is again, like I don't understand why this whole, the whole trilogy wasn't just the Clone Wars. Right. Um, but so it makes sense that you would have a battle that is, on the world of a very important character. Um, And and like the Wookiees are in like expanded universe, really important and have like a big sad role in, in the empire, especially, you know? Um, And so highlighting them is emotionally um, valuable, I think, and, and, and good, but yeah, just not handled the best.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Um, I also I feel like there's a lot of times in these especially in the prequels and in the fourth Indiana Jones movie where you can see George Lucas is just checking things he loves off of a list. Like I wanna put this in a movie. And when mm-hmm. Obi-Wan like whistles and then rides a dinosaur, that just seems like it's, you know, Lucas wanting to do like a Ray Harryhausen uh you know, stop-motion animation homage, because there's no reason for that, and it's really dumb. Uh, really, really dumb. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily.
1: I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster,
0: A Silent Voice,
1: and Pokemon Adventures.
0: We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note.
1: At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, I'm ready to talk some Shiv. Are you ready to talk some Shiv? Let's talk some sheep. Are we going to start with the opera scene? Uh, ye- a- A.K.A. the best scene in the movie, maybe?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, we are. I-, I have sort of a heading here that I put everything else underneath for the rest of the film, okay. which is that Palpatine is horny for the dark side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like You see him get like, you know, he's he's walking around like he's like, it's just this rock-hard, just thinking about darkness and evil, and he's just like, he bites his lip, and his voice changes, and he's just—he his is...
1: eyes like roll back in his yeah. head. Yeah. And he, he is had Dan Eckward like, getting a ghost egg.
0: blow job in Ghostbusters for the entire yeah. second half of this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: he is so horny for the dark side. Uh, so let's talk about the opera scene. Go for it.
1: I mean, the opera scene is just really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of the few times that I think. Um, exposit like exposition works really well in this movie I don't disagree with that Uh, it's really good exposition um it's good
0: because he lays everything out but doesn't say anything yeah you really you're left at the end of this scene thinking okay is he saying that somebody controlled like midichlorians to make anakin to make him a pawn here you're thinking is he the apprentice of dark P- darth Pelagus? did he kill him like there's all these things that are very strongly hinted at but nothing is like outright said about any of this stuff right and it's it's really compelling
1: it is and exactly yeah and it's you're right it even though it is exposition it doesn't go all the way to just explaining everything and making everything clear. And it's still like a heavily debated thing. Um, you know, there was that, uh, Darth Plagueis novel that I think did set a lot of things in stone, but now that's even, that's up in the air because of the new, uh, continuity, which I think it's good that that's still, it's, it's okay to have things not explained.
0: Yes. Agreed.
1: It makes things much more interesting.
0: Yeah, um, and I also think that this is the first time that we see Anakin begin to put together what everyone else has put together, which is that Palpatine is problematic. You mm-hmm. <laughs> know, <He, he, laughs> even if he doesn't fully buy in yet to Palpatine is evil, like this is the first time that he seems even a little bit suspicious of Palpatine because he pretty much buys Palpatine, hook, line, and sinker, from the Phantom Menace on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I guess maybe that is one of the key areas of having him be introduced as a child and be very influenceable and making Palpatine a pseudo-father figure, even though you really don't see that until this movie, but it's implied right um you know they come from this no they don't come from the same world no he though. comes from Padme's um, he's world. from he's from Naboo for yeah. some reason I was thinking and I, I know that Anakin's not from Naboo I was just lumping all of Phantom Menace into <laughs> one <laughs> which blob is,
0: which is understandable
1: yeah yeah but you know they're they are closely tied from that moment even if it's not always shown a lot of it happens off screen
0: yeah um I also want to say that uh, pretty much every Jedi we meet that isn't Obi Wan, Anakin, Yoda, or Mace Windu is a terrible Jedi in these movies.
1: Uh, the Jedi are really bad, um, <laughs> and I feel like that's a lot easier to say now in this climate where we're very questioning of um, of you know regulating authorities and and police and. Um, governing bodies and things like that—it's way—it's uh, way more on vogue to to have those kinds of ideas. But um, yeah, the Jedi were really not great at the end.
0: And not only that, like they're not great sort of um, in terms of their principles and their actions, but they're also just bad at being Jedi. Like there's a scene where Mace Windu brings four Jedi with him to arrest Palpatine. And
1: the other four Jedi are all killed in like one second. (laughs) Yeah. So that's interesting um, because I see this, this is why film is interesting because you are limited in your presentation of events. Like, are we supposed to interpret that as these Jedi are bad at their job and they get demolished or that, Palpatine is actually like so much better than them that the only way to depict this in film is just to have them just straight job, you know? But like, but he doesn't
0: do anything special with it. I them. know.
1: I know. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. But like, how do you, how do you depict that differential <laughs> in film? Just and having the I sequence
0: you, 30 seconds longer.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, but it's, it's just, it's just a weird case. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard this and I've meant to, to, um, test this many times. I just have never gotten around to it, but I've heard that the revenge of the Sith novel is a much more, uh, pleasing experience than, uh, than the film.
0: That's interesting. Maybe I'll have to add that to my list to read. Yeah, I could see that. Um, all right, so let's let's get back into this. Let's see. Uh, one one thing I wrote was uh, the good thing that most of this is green screen because Shiva's chewing all the scenery. <laughs> he really, yes. I mean, there,
1: no, no, <laughs>
0: exactly. There is some really heavy-handed acting, uh, but great. Like I, I actually think it really works for this film. It's so it's so out of place, but it really works. Um, yeah, it's a choice. Uh, one, of my, one of my things that I, I heard a uh, former guest in the show, Michael Morisi, once say is that, uh, you know for all of Lucas's faults, he goes for it a lot of times and like makes bold decisions in his filmmaking. and this is certainly a bold one to just say like, hey, Ian McDermott, just do whatever you want. Just just go over the top. Just be an insane person this whole movie. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. That's good.
0: I also want to say that, you know, a character I've been very, very uh, critical of the through all the prequels is Mace Windu. And to me, Mace Windu has one compelling line of dialogue in the entire, in all three films, which is when he This is... party's over. <laughs> yes, that one. No, <laughs> when, when he is engaged in Battle of Palpatine, right before he goes out the window and... Palpatine is is saying to Anakin, like, you know, look, they're taking us over. And he says basically like something like, um, Anakin don't believe him. It's the first time he says anything that doesn't sound like it's just a robotic line. And it shows you what he could have been in like one tiny little moment. But I mean, I I think it's pretty much well agreed upon that Mace Windu is a huge waste in these films, right? Yeah. But my sub question to that is when is he going to come back in continuity? because if you're looking at this there is no way he couldn't have survived what happened to him.
1: Oh yeah, and I think, you know, Samuel L. Jackson has been very vocal that in his own personal headcanon Mace Windu lived and he would love to get to come back. Um and I'm really surprised with how many people how many characters have come back from the prequels um that he hasn't, you know. Okay. I mean Darth yeah. Maul was in Solo. Yes, he was. Uh, obviously, obviously, he was in Clone Wars and Rebels. But to have him actually show back up in a film, yeah,
0: I uh, wonder where you would put Mace Windu because I feel like one of the problems is he should have shown up in Rebels. Then,
1: yeah, yeah that that you're right. I I do think that that opportunity has maybe kind of passed. Um, Unless you tell a
0: story about him being like so deep in in hiding that he's he he'd basically be like the Japanese soldiers in World War II who don't know the war is over and is still fighting the war. Like you could tell an interesting story about him showing up like 5 years after return of the jedi as an old man, not aware that the war is over.
1: Yeah, I, you know there is a potential I know you haven't Wait, have you finished Rebels yet? No,
0: no, I am I am uh towards the end of season 3 right now
1: okay okay well i have to wait for say, a
0: seven-year-old to be interested enough to watch an episode so it sh- takes sure a while sure
1: i understand i understand well then i'll just say rebels ends in an interesting place for a certain group of characters uh-huh. um actually there are two sets of characters who could easily have some kind of weird run-in with mace windu on the edges of space and it would be very cool oh, okay well, that's and make sense so um So yeah, that story could still be out there.
0: Yeah. Uh okay, so let's see. let's move moving on past Mace Windu. Um So this is where the film starts to go a little bit off the rails for me because of just how fast everything has to happen from here on out. In in like half a scene Anakin goes from questioning Palpatine to literally bending the knee and pledging allegiance to him. Mm. Do you did did that
1: feel as rushed for you
0: this time as it did for me?
1: It always feels rushed. Yeah. Okay,
0: because there's obviously there are, there are hints of that, but this really fast forwards a lot.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, just the whole motivation to feels unearned I think I want to say
0: yes agreed
1: obviously okay. he cares a lot for Padme but it's it's a lot
0: it is um, I, I want to talk just for a minute about Obi-Wan here because Obi-Wan is I mean it, it's redundant to even say but Obi-Wan is the best character in the prequels He's so yeah, good. Yeah, he is. He is. And, you know, even though throughout a lot of this film things that he was pretty much locked into start to fall apart, he never really loses the faith. Like, you know, he sees that the Jedi order is fucked up, but and and he he gets a little frustrated, but he never loses faith in that he knows that Anakin has impregnated Padme. I guess maybe he knows they're married at the end of this, you know, but he doesn't By the like,
1: end does, yeah, yeah. he
0: never really goes on like a moralistic judgment against Anakin. Everything he's mad at Anakin about is stuff that makes total sense. You know, Anakin killed a room full of kids, which breaks my heart every time. That mm-hmm. scene is heartbreaking as it should be. That scene should be the saddest scene in the entire Star Wars saga. It's Anakin doing something he can never come back from. And, you know, Obi-Wan is mad at that stuff, which is so different than, you know, with the Jedi in the prequels, we see them really hung up on some maybe irrelevant points at times or not really understanding what they should be focusing on. But Obi-Wan avoids all that. He's really focused on what is good and what is right. And the film's do celebrate him a lot, but I feel like he's still somehow underappreciated in the prequels.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is that, like, great scene when, um, you know, everything is falling apart, and he's with Padme, and he just kind of intuits, you know, he, he says something like, Anakin's the father, isn't he? And she's like, oh, yeah, and then he's just like, uh, you know, he's genuinely sorry. Yes. Um, he's not angry, he is...
0: He's heartbroken. Sad.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and I also think that there's an interesting bit, like late in the movie, when Anakin really starts to go off the rails, he starts to believe that um, Obi Wan is trying to basically move in on Padme, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a little bit of a ridiculous situation. But I think, but I think that you know, you show when you show Anakin being this paranoid, it's not out of character for him to think that um but obi-wan again like he doesn't play into any of that he never really even dignifies that with a response he just mm-hmm. kind of uh he just kind of you know he's he's the adult in every situation
1: yeah yeah he is and that whole i don't we don't have to move into the final sequence necessarily but the way that all plays out was immensely moving and kind of iconic for my formative teenage years i think um you know the whole like you were my brother scene thing it cut deep
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that in a couple of minutes um let's see what else do we have in our notes before then um so there's a couple of things here that i want to talk about the first is that why was Yoda so surprised by Palpatine's force lightning? I don't know. <laughs> it seems really silly. That's because we see him fight force lightning in Attack of the Clones.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's
0: it's really it's really dumb. Um but I I do love Palpatine going ass over tea kettle over his desk. <laughs> That's one of my <laughs> yes. favorite visuals in the in this film. Just he falls like such a little kid. I don't know, it's very funny to me um I do want to say also that uh the initial like uh transformation from Palpatine into normal dude into the look we've come to know as the emperor with the wrinkles he looks like darth yogurt uh <laughs> he looks
1: so bad yeah. in 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 the transformation
0: yes uh and like that that first scene when he's fully transformed and he doesn't have the hood up yet he really looks like yogurt from spaceballs he
1: he has like that that butt crack forehead yep. that I don't feel like was as pronounced in Jedi.
0: I don't believe it was.
1: Um, and I've actually never fully understood that scene. I mean, I, I think what is supposed to be happening is that's what he really looks like through some kind of force magic. He had disguised himself and he used the force lightning Stick as a way to drop the disguise in a believable way is that how you
0: I, I have never considered that before that's actually really interesting
1: it's just weird it's a weird thing or maybe he didn't always look like that i don't know i if if he didn't i don't know why he let that help him to himself because he he didn't have to keep shooting himself <laughs> just stop, just
0: stop. <laughs> it's just, that is that is very true
1: um that's a weird it, that that scene was is always kind of uh confused me a lot
0: yeah uh that that doesn't surprise me that that's a terrible scene uh
1: it's like this window's sitting there like oh s- stop lightning yourself stop lightning yourself
0: <laughs> yeah um he also kind of looks like gary oldman's dracula a little bit from the uh, francis Ford coppola movie like old dracula a little bit there. Um, uh, I, I want to sort of also lament how useless Bail Organa is in these films.
1: Yeah, but I like him there. I like I like what he is there for. I don't disagree.
0: I just think that you could have made the character far more interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, it is wild how many incarnations of this Jimmy Smith character um, Bail Organa has since like gone on to, like, found the Rebellion. I don't <laughs> right. know if you, like, are familiar with the, the Force Unleashed video games.
0: Uh No, but um, I, I, I'm I'm familiar with that he's a major character in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was, like, the pre... That's, like, the Legends founding of the Rebellion, and he plays a big role in that and, and helps with that. But then we get that all over again in Rebels. Yep. Um, and
0: he—I I don't know if you've read the Leia Princess of Alderaan
1: novel. I've—I've I've not. No. He—he
0: he is obviously very important in that, and then uh, he's in
1: Rogue One too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think he shows up in Clone Wars some as well. He does. Yes. Uh, yeah, he is everywhere.
0: Yeah. Um, and really does nothing in these films of of real consequence, except you know what what he's what he's there to be. He and and Padme are sort of the only members of the of the Senate who see something wrong with what's going on, or at least the only ones that we are introduced to that see something wrong. And so, unfortunately, his character just becomes the loyalist character. You know, he's Mm -hmm. just there to help Yoda. He's just there to help with Leia. Like, he doesn't, we don't get much about what makes Bell Organa tick.
1: Yeah, although I do actually think that that scene where he is um, trying to get to the Jedi Temple and the, the kid runs out the yeah. uh, the like Padawan, yeah. and he's fighting the clone troopers. And he like, Bail is just kind of like, "What is going on here?" Yes, um, that's a really good and effective scene. Yes, agreed,
0: agreed. Um, I would like to see more with that character, but I don't know where you would do it. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into the. Uh, there's sort of a dual sequence here of Yoda and Palpatine fighting. That is juxtaposed with the beginning of the Obi-Wan and Anakin fight. The one thing I do want to say about the um the Palpatine and Yoda battle is that it is one of the more heavy handed things that Lucas does in this film where they are literally using the Senate as pawns. Like they are pushing the Senate pods into each other. Like literally uh-huh. showing us literally, look, get it, the Senate was just being used in this battle between the Sith and the Jedi. You know, yeah. It's really heavy handed. Uh but I still don't love Yoda flipping around at all, I think that's really dumb storytelling. Uh, but this is a much better Yoda fight than the Yoda Dooku fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really kind of funny um, uh, having a cake and eating it too type thing. Where um, you know, retroactively, the the Vader Obi Wan fight in A New Hope is um, you know it's explained they they can't do those things because they're both old men. But Yoda and and Palpatine are the oldest of men. Well, Yoda and, and Dooku especially. That too. That yeah. yeah, you're right. That too. Yeah, Dooku is super old. Um, and Dooku does something hilarious.
0: I forgot to mention at the beginning of the film where he's like on kind of a bridge and they're <gasps> below him and he just does a sweet somersault off the bridge for no reason. But,
1: but with such bad CGI. Yes. Um, yes. It, 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 that it that looks is one like, area um, that does not hold up. It looks like, oh,
0: what was that game? It's like the most beloved SNES game ever. Chrono Trigger. It's a Chrono Trigger effects.
1: I see what you're saying. Yeah, yes. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking not quite as bad as the scene in um, Matrix Reloaded with all the Neo clones that okay. look it looks like a PS2 game. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. Um it's not quite that bad, but it's all it's not great. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um but I, mean, I, I don't think there's enough good we can say about the Obi-Wan. Uh, Anakin lightsaber duel it does a lot of it it does sort of suffer from what I was saying before about Lucas wanting to do certain things like when they basically fight as pirates like swinging from uh, from sails on ships that's a little bit silly maybe but there's so much um, energy and emotion in this lightsaber duel that it it feels like it's worthy of its place in the saga Mm mm-hmm even if they do there's one scene <laughs> they're still inside where they're both that they, they're they're ostensibly fighting each other but they each just like spin their lightsabers 10 times and never touch each other love that <laughs> yeah some ex- i wrote down excessive spinnies got to spin yeah got to spin um anything particularly stand out to you before we get to the very end of this
1: i mean no not necessarily i i remember I don't even know if this is accurate but i do remember in the lead-up to revenge of the sith some article some news outlet that i was reading um said that this this would be the longest sword fight in cinema history
0: oh that's interesting
1: i don't know if that's true um and if even if it is i'm sure it's been out paced by some film since then. Um, Probably a Hobbit film. But it is long. It is,
0: yes. Um, So, I do think it's a little bit silly, like, how their fighting leads to more volcano happening. That they hit into Mm -hmm. a computer and then more volcano happens. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I I can overlook that. Uh, I, I do want to say that I still think the higher ground thing is such utter bullshit. It's never mentioned before that scene.
1: Um, well, that gets into like the whole, uh, again, very shallow presentation of this deeper idea. You know, Lucas has this Bible for how lightsaber combat works and all the different forms and how they work against each other. And, you know, Obi-Wan is supposed to be a master of this very defensive form. Um,. And I, I think that's what he's getting at, but sure. because none of that is conveyed in the film, yeah, it comes off. It's it's there there's no grounding, no basis for it in the film. Especially
0: because Anakin does a less tricky version of what Obi Wan does in Phantom Menace, but Obi Wan winds up landing on his feet and chopping Darth Maul in half. hmm And yet Anakin can't Anakin gets chopped in the middle by mm-hmm. by Obi Wan it just seems like it's a very, I don't know. It just seems really lazy to me.
1: Yeah. It's like, this has got to end. Yeah. So <laughs> well, let's, let's end, end it. it.
0: Higher ground. Here we go. Uh, I also did want to mention how <laughs> uh, Anakin's hand gets cut off again. And I forgot that um, he, <laughs> Mace Windu's hand gets cut off too in this movie.
1: Yeah, it does. Lucas yeah. And just so loves people losing hands. He does. Yeah. And so that, Again, is kind of one of those things that's like, well, you know, I guess it didn't have to happen because we didn't know what parts of Vader we knew. Like his hand was robot. Oh, and Duko loses his hands too. Sorry, Duko also loses you're, his hands. Your everybody. Yeah. Oh, there's probably some kind of metaphor there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Anakin loses his his other his, his other remaining human hand and both legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he catches on fire. Yes, he does. <laughs> Uh, in a very, very, I think that was the scene that I think earned that movie a PG-13 rating and yes. was the first PG-13 Star Wars film.
0: He looks pretty gnarly at the end of that. Yeah, he's he's rough. So I, I had an interesting thought here, which I had never thought of before this rewatch, which is like, if you're looking at the universe as a whole, you need Darth Vader to live because you need him to eventually betray the Emperor. But would the Emperor have been able to do as much as he did if Obi-Wan had killed Anakin here?
1: I I, I think so, probably. I, I feel like a lot of subsequent Star Wars media has just shown that, um, especially the comics, um, the current comics, mm-hmm. and, and Rebels to a degree, too, with like the Inquisitors and things like that, that um, Palpatine had... He had other options lying in wait all the time. Um, So.
0: And that's another thing that I think is a big change between how folks of your age saw Vader versus how folks of my age saw Vader. Yeah. Vader was like the scariest character in the world to me. And the only time outside of the original trilogy where he even began to approximate that is in Rogue One.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he is a great figurehead. And he is, you know, very, very scary and, and powerful, but uh, Palpatine was a propagandist, and he could have probably turned anyone into that type of figure. Yeah. Um,
0: all right, so I, I just have a couple of last questions, comments for you. Do you have anything else before I get into these last ones?
1: Um, not not necessarily. Um. No, not really. Okay. Um.
0: So, the the no is still so dumb. Still, yeah. So but bad. now, it,
1: now it's in two movies too. Yes, it is.
0: Uh, terrible. Is it in Jedi also now? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um. Okay. So here are my last two questions, which one of which is not important, and one of which is very important to me. The non-important one is, why does Bell Organa just say to wipe one droid's memory and not both?
1: I, I don't know. I, does he not say to wipe both their memories? He just
0: says, wipe the protocol droid.
1: I guess because uh, no one can understand uh, R2. R2. Maybe. But you would think that R2 would just then be like, oh, C-3PO, you're mind was just wiped exactly. here are all the things you forgot <laughs> yes
0: exactly it's very dumb but here's my real question so one of the big inaccuracies between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy is in return of the jedi Luke asks leia what do you remember about your mother your real mother mm-hmm. and she says yeah. she was very sad and whatever uh, yeah and here we see at uh, padme die right yeah. But the thing that Padme says right before she dies, she says to Obi Wan, "There is still good in him," and I feel like we're spo- we're led to believe that she's dying because she's dying of a broken heart because she's so betrayed. But if she can still see there's good in him, then why is she not
1: fighting to keep living? So that's a great question, and this is like just I I think kind of inexcusable uh, proof that Lucas just was going off the rails at this point. He He knew what he had already written in those other movies, and purposely chose to contradict himself by writing himself into this hole. And I, I, yeah, I don't get that at all.
0: Yeah, and to me, it just it it was it could have been very easy to show her as having this like terrible childbirth, and she's Mm -hmm. and she's essentially a sad old woman the rest of her life. Nobody would have questioned that. That could make sense. When yeah. paints himself into this corner that just, it, it just, it drives me crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like he decided that Anakin needed, she needed to die for Anakin to really be Vader.
0: But here's the thing. And Anakin, for him
1: to think that he did it. But Anna, but that
0: already happened. She, like, Palpatine still lies to him because he didn't kill yeah. Padme. And Palpatine doesn't know at that moment if, if Padme is alive or dead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if there was any chance that she was alive, he would go look for her. Um, And he, you know, he didn't look for the kids because he thought she was dead. He didn't even know that there were two kids. Right. Even if he had thought to look for kids. Um, But again, like, that's still a hole that, that Lucas wrote himself into. Yeah. He could have planned it differently from the beginning and not... Had to do that. And I'm really surprised that he didn't uh, retroactively change Jedi to reflect that. That's actually
0: a really good point. Yeah. We don't even know up until that scene, we don't know that Leia knew she was adopted. Uh huh. That's never established, you know, earlier in the films. The only reason we know that is because Luke says, You're real mother. Right. It's all just very odd. Very, very odd. Last thing I want to talk about is um, sort of the idea of this being the final Star Wars movie. I I guess we should say also we get a little bit of Qui-Gon at the end. They mentioned Qui-Gon always found a way to commune from beyond the grave or whatever. And that gets fleshed out again more later in other media.
1: It does. um, But again, it's still something I think is like kind of heatedly debated just heatedly debated just because like everyone else who does that trained beforehand and he just kind of did it right yeah um which like again who who cares we don't know how this stuff works it, well did, it have you matter. read
0: have you read master and apprentice yet
1: no i haven't actually so i've read master does and it get into
0: it a little bit and i'm halfway through dooku jedi lost right now as well and both of those books talk about how dooku was obsessed with the Jedi prophecies Mm -hmm. and how Qui-Gon was Dooku's apprentice and how he became, or his Padawan rather, and how he became obsessed with the prophecies as well. So uh, they're laying groundwork for him possibly having exposure to this idea beforehand.
1: But again, it is,
0: like you said, it is sort of, uh, it's just sort of thrown there at the end of this movie. Man, I
1: have not even heard of dooku jedi lost until an, this minute it's an audio only book uh yeah i'm looking it up right now i saw it see it hasn't been out that long but i had not even heard about that
0: one of the major characters in it is sifo who's uh-huh. mentioned as the jedi who commissions the clone army right right And so there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in it um but yeah check those out they're both they're both worth reading i'd say okay um all right so so last thoughts here You know, when this movie ended, I think we all were led to believe through interviews that Lucas always saw this as a nine-part saga, but I think the poor reception of the prequels, even though they were financially very successful, I really felt like there would never be episodes seven, eight, and nine, Mm -hmm. and so this felt like the true
1: end of the Star Wars
0: films. Did you feel that way when you saw it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I didn't expect to get anything else. um, Only because the expanded universe had already kind of filled that out. You know, we already had the Thrawn trilogy, which was the sort of de facto 7, 8, 9. And I never expected the kind of... um, you know, reboot, restructuring of continuity that we got that would have allowed us a new 789, so...
0: I mean, the idea uh, of rebooting in 2005 was still somewhat novel.
1: It it was, if, unless you were... Uh, in terms of film, yeah. Yes. I mean, we, we had, you know, different incarnations of, like, superhero characters at that point, but not within uh, something like Star Wars.
0: No. No, certainly not. And, you know, there are still a lot of. Uh... You could still make the argument that anything that was rebooted was never seen on screen. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as big of a deal as, like, you know, we joked about watching all the Terminator movies <laughs> uh, recently. You and yeah. I, and, like, yeah. That mo- those have been rebooted on, on screen many, many times. But those mm-hmm. films were never quite Star Wars in terms of how beloved they were. Oh, well,
1: yeah, definitely not.
0: Um, but so, like, taken as a whole. I think this film more or less works, but I couldn't help but have this thought when I watched it last time. Aside from establishing Anakin and Padme as a couple, which is done poorly, aside from Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul, who are written out way too early, I think there's a really compelling argument to be made that you could have taken this film, split it into three, Expanded it, and it would have been a much better prequel trilogy.
1: Yes, like one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, the first two movies do nothing, really. Yeah, but that, and that's like things have been done with those characters and concepts after the fact. Like Darth Maul has done a ton and been involved in a bunch of things that are really cool and interesting after the fact.
0: Yes, agreed.
1: Um.
0: Yeah, Um, I I just think that this film is the first time that we get the idea that like, oh, the prequels may not, maybe wouldn't have been so terrible if handled differently. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, you get the Clone Wars, which is a very different take on these stories that, to my eyes, work much better and then you get Rebels, which kind of fills in the gaps between Clone Wars and Rogue One, which and I'm not quite done with it yet, but I, I think it's excellent. And, you know, you're just left with a much deeper, much, m- much more enjoyable, much much more satisfying series when you take those things in than you do without them. And mm-hmm. unfortunately... It's very hard for us to – I think it's very hard to make the argument that say like, oh, you would love the prequels if you just watch these 180 episodes of television. <laughs> you yeah. know. You can't really make that argument, unfortunately.
1: So. Yeah, and even then, a lot of the things that people love from those things aren't here. So, you yeah. know, like Ahsoka is not here, and <laughs> right. like I said – that's one of the things I was thinking about when I said you can't view these in the same way. It's because there are glaring omissions to what we now know. Yes. Um, you know, Ahsoka's not there. Rex isn't mentioned. Um, right. Cody's in it a little bit. Cody's in it, yeah. Um, Even so, Kanan,
0: like you know, Kanan's just a Padawan at the time of this film, right? But you know, these are characters that mean a lot to the Star Wars universe that just aren't present. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zach, where can folks find you if they want to hear more of your, uh, wonderful opinions and Maleficent voice?
1: Um, Malif- they can Malif- listen. Maleficent voice. Back um, off. I am the bad boy of the DC three cast, so you, you can are. find me there. <laughs> um, and you can find me, uh, monthly at the Multiversity manga club, um i'm doing weekly a weekly binge of one piece for uh multiversity uh just i think the sixth volume review just went up by the time they hear um, this the seventh volume. movement as well okay yeah. okay and um yeah yeah uh
0: as always you can find me on twitter at brian an app I'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks with Matt and Liz. We're doing our Rampant Speculation Episode 9 episode, where we're just going to talk about sort of random theories we have and things we think about Episode 9 without knowing too much about it. And uh, as always, remember, the Force will be with you.